Well, I don't know who this is. 
No doubt. As you said, I'm Max Parthas. I am the co-host for Abolition Today, I'm also the uh, assistant director for state operations for the Abolish Slavery National Network, and I'm the acting director for the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, which is where I'm at right now, streaming on uh, live from the plantation for the very first time. And so we just finally got our doors open, and my office is set up in here, so I'm real happy to be uh, here working out of the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center. Uh, I've been working as an abol- slavery abolitionist uh, for a decade and a half or more uh, and dedicated my life, my art, and my talents to this particular topic alone. Okay, Brother Mac, um, I'm going to just ask you a few things about the 13th Amendment, the exception. Um, a lot of people are not familiar with the exception. They don't understand that the, the dynamics of the 13th Amendment did not abolish slavery. Um, can you speak to the exception, uh, what some of the work is being done about this, and just enlighten people who are listening for the first time or really just haven't had an in-depth conversation about this? Yes. Uh, as many uh, are aware these days, uh, the 13th Amendment clearly states that slavery is abolished in the United States and all its territories except for prisoners duly convicted. You don't have to be guilty. All you got to do is be convicted. There's no exception to the exception, which means that once you've been convicted, you become state property. And not only does the 13th Amendment have this exception, which covers all of the states and territories in the Union, but over time, uh, 24 states and a territory, Puerto Rico, have included an exception clause of their own into their state constitution. And the reason that they did that is because at the end of chattel slavery in 1865, there was a transfer of ownership from the individual being able to own people as property to the state taking over the job to convict leasing and chain gang. Uh, For instance, in Alabama, at one point, uh, their prison population was predominantly white. As many as 80% of the people in their prison population was white. Immediately after uh, the Emancipation Proclamation, their prison population went up to 90% or more black. So rather than have people enslaved in the fields, uh, working, picking cotton or whatever it may be, now they were working for the prisons who would lease them out to major companies like the railroad stations, the mining companies, and they would work them for free to death. Many historians see convict leasing, which was the successor of slavery, as worse than slavery. And they say that because during the period of chattel slavery, the people who allegedly thought that they owned somebody had some concern for whether you lived or died because they wanted to get the most bang for their buck. So the longer you lived, the longer you could work. But when it came to the prison, there was no mercy whatsoever. So they would literally work you to death. So they would work you to death. And that convict leasing program continues on to this day in reality. But officially, it ended in 1928 in Alabama when there was a cave-in that killed nearly 150 black men, women, and children who were working in these mines as convicts leased by the company. And there was a cave-in, and it killed them. And the world went into an outrage about it, forcing America to 
allegedly abolish it. But, you know, they never abolished anything. So uh, what they did was just change the structure of how they do things. Because as you guys know, being on the inside right now, many of you are working for uh, private industries uh, doing jobs that on the outside get minimum wage or more, and you're not getting anything, if not pennies on the dollar for what the work that you're doing. Okay, Brother Max, so, I mean, you're using the word slavery. We understand where you're coming from, but the conversation in this country, although changing and changing very fast, the majority of the people who talk about prisons and talk about these things, they use the term mass incarceration. And so you haven't used the word yet, but that's how most people are familiar with it. So can you just provide some historical content behind the word mass incarceration and understand why this word is deceptive and why it keeps people away from the actual issue and conversation that we're having about slavery and the the abolitionist movement? Exactly. Uh, Mass incarceration as a term didn't even exist until the release of Michelle Alexander's book, uh, The New Jim Crow and the Color Blindness in the Age of Mass Incarceration. So when her book came out in 2010, that's when it started to be popularized as a term to describe what was happening to us with the largest prison population in the history of humanity on planet Earth. But the problem was, uh, this was a misnomer because what we were dealing with is not mass incarceration. If mass incarceration really was a thing, as is claimed in that book and by many other people, that means that it implies that this is something that affects everybody across the nation equally. And that's not the case at all. All across America, there is no state in this union where white people are incarcerated per 100,000 at a greater rate than black people. Uh, Here in South Carolina, we're incarcerated at five to one, even though we only make up 25% of the population. In Alabama, you're incarcerated at 8 to 1. In New Jersey, it's 14 to 1. It doesn't matter how much of the population black people make up, they are still incarcerated at a greater rate, much higher rate than their white counterparts. Even in states like Vermont, where 98% of the people of Vermont are white people and 1.2% are blacks, blacks are incarcerated at 14 to 1. You only make up 1.2% of the population and you're incarcerated at 14 to 1. So this term of mass incarceration implies that it affects everybody equally, and it doesn't. At no point does it uh, say, look, this is a race or class-based system. So between 2007, at the launch of Twitter, and 2009, there were only four mentions of mass incarceration. It literally did not exist as a term. It became popularized with Michelle Alexander's book. Uh, What we really were dealing with, though, was slavery, as I had mentioned earlier, uh, through the new system of convict leasing. And she just didn't want to take it that far. Instead, she called it a caste system. She made this term mass incarceration, which, as I said, is a misnomer. And everybody's aware of the rate of incarcerations that are, you know, extremely skewed towards black and brown bodies. So for me, I don't use that term primarily for this reason. There's no laws against mass incarceration. Uh, There's no laws on the book internationally or nationally that protects people from mass incarceration. But there are laws on the books that protect people from slavery. Slavery is illegal. And also, when you're talking about mass incarceration, you're 
furthermore implying that this is something that is not done on purpose. It's a mistake. It's an error in judgment. It's uh, ideals and philosophies from past days that we've yet to correct, and they're still causing problems. But that's not the case at all. This is done intentionally. Many of these states uh, could not survive without their prison industry. Here in South Carolina, our number one industry is prison, with over 7,000 employees, uh, 24 facilities holding prisoners in those facilities. And in some states, the cost of incarceration is through the roof. Like in New York, if you go to Rikers Island, it costs you over 300000 It costs the taxpayer over $300,000 to incarcerate one person for a single year. So this is not some nebulous term, mass incarceration that we're dealing with. What we're dealing with is a crime against humanity called slavery. And I know people are quick to adopt the idea that this might be something else. But if you look at the history of the country and you examine what happened in 1865, just prior to it and after it, it really becomes crystal clear what occurred. This exception clause that was put into the Constitution that allowed them to enslave people who had been convicted of a crime was just a continuation of slavery. And instead of the individual being able to own someone, now it's the state that does it. And even worse than that, not only can the state own you, but since 1980 and the reintroduction of for-profit private prisons, anybody who invests in private prisons can now own people. Because when you put your money into for-profit prisons, you're not investing in a building. You're investing in the fact that those prison cells will remain filled for uh, as much as 25 years in a row, depending on what the contract says. And most of the contracts with the for-profit prisons vary from uh, 20 to 25 years in a row, guaranteeing 80 to 100% occupancy. Now, I don't know how the hell any state can guarantee a prison is going to be filled up to 100% for 25 years, but that's what the contracts say. So we don't call it mass incarceration because mass incarceration is not illegal and it's not a crime against humanity, but slavery is. You can abolish slavery. Slavery is against the law here in the United States. Uh, It's against the law all across the world. So that's how we address this, as something that's being done intentionally and it's race and class-based, and we seek to abolish it. But you can't do that if you're using terms that treat it like some kind of big mistake that somebody made. This is not a mistake. Okay, Brother Max, um, thank you for that breakdown. Uh, once again, y'all, we're joined by Brother Max Parthis, abolition today. Uh, he's one of the leading abolitionist voices um, on this movement to repeal and replace the 13th Amendment and abolish slavery in America. Uh, he's also a voice on these issues as it relates to the conversation, uh, what particular terms are being used. You heard him use the term abolish slavery several times. And so as an abolitionist, you hear the term, some people just say abolitionist. Some people say they're slavery abolitionists. Some people say they're prison abolitionists. So, Max, can you give us some breakdown into the term abolitionist? What's the difference between a prison abolitionist, slavery abolitionist, and why you feel like that also has to be put in its proper context? Through my experience and through interviewing people who are leaders in their particular areas, we found that there's four narratives that are vying for control to tell us what the problem is that we're dealing with. And those four narratives are criminal justice reform. And criminal justice reform is, as I said earlier, see this 
as an error in judgment, mistakes made over time that can be reformed or fixed. And then you have uh, prison abolitionists, which is not much different than criminal justice reform, but their focus is more on eliminating prisons themselves altogether, just ending prisons and reimagining uh, a carceral state or how we can deal with crime and punishment. And then you have prison slavery abolitionists uh, whose focus is primarily on what's happening inside the prison. They do see this as slavery. They do see it as a crime against humanity, but usually it's the prisoners themselves who are leading these movements. So their focus most definitely is on the prisons and the prisoners. And then finally, you have slavery abolitionists, which is an ideal that encompasses not just the prisons, but also the for-profit probation companies, the courts, the prosecutors, the police, and all the different systems that surround the prisons in order to keep these bodies going in and out. And the main difference between them is can be separated into two groups. So you have criminal justice reforms, and then you have prison abolitionists, or your prison abolitionists, which do not see what we're dealing with as a crime against humanity. On the other side of the fence, you have prison slavery abolitionists and slavery abolitionists who do see this as a crime against humanity. And that's the defining line in the sand that makes all the difference in the world. Because if you're dealing with this as a mistake, you're not looking to hold anybody accountable. You just want to fix things. You want to tweak things. You want to make it better, possibly get prisoners some bunny slippers so they feel better about, you know, being in prison, or maybe get them a hot tub or something like that, but not release them. On the other hand, prison slavery abolitionists and slavery abolitionists clearly see this as a crime against humanity that cannot be reformed and must, by definition, be abolished. So those are the differences between those four narratives. Those four narratives are divided on, by line into two different groups those who see this as a crime against humanity, and those who see it as a mistake over time that can be tweaked and fixed. Okay, thanks for that, Brother Maxon. You said something on the end part of that I, I think was very important when you extended the definition of slavery abolitionists to the probations, the courts, and, and, and whatnot. I think that's a very important distinction for people to keep in the mind. Um, just moving right along, um, tell us, like, okay, you said there's three terms to define it. We know where these terms show up. Just give people some insight into, you said there's 24 states. Each state has some kind of provision on the state level where they've adopted or incorporated. As for the other states that do not have a state constitution, explain to people how this is working in their individual states and what some of the education is around this movement to abolish or repeal all of that language. Yes. Uh, after 1865, 20 excuse me, 24 states adopted their own constitutional language in order to uh, profit off of convict leasing. Some of those states didn't adopt the language until the 1960s and the 1950s, and uh, they vary from state to state. And there's three words that they use in order to uh, bamboozle us about the abolishment of slavery. And those three words are accept, otherwise, and unless. So, for instance, in Vermont, which was the first state to incorporate an exception clause into its state constitution in order to profit off of prison labor, they, and they still have it in their constitution today, 
they say that you can be a slave for debts and the like. Now, I don't know what the hell the like is, but apparently you can be enslaved for the like or for debts. And Georgia, their constitution says that you can be enslaved if you have been convicted of a crime or for contempt of court. Uh, Alabama's state constitution has an exception clause that is very much just like the 13th Amendment. And they didn't adopt their exception clause until 1901, which was uh, 36 years after the Emancipation Proclamation and the 13th Amendment had came out. And it's not just the states, but also the territories. So, for instance, if you look into the Constitution of Puerto Rico, you'll find, written in Spanish, the same exception clause in Puerto Rico that allows them to exploit prison labor through their Constitution by legalizing slavery. And I I say slavery with all the intentions that an abolitionist would say slavery in 1850, the same way Harriet Tubman would have said it or Frederick Douglass would have said it, because it's the same exact slavery now that we were dealing with then. And as I mentioned earlier, the only difference is that instead of an individual being able to own you, now the state owns you. You guys already know. They call you what? State property. Because that's what they see you as. And because of that 13th Amendment, you lose all your constitutional rights. So the prisons have an agreement amongst each other, along with the government, that they will allow you to have certain rights depending on your uh, activities, how much of a model or good prisoner you are. While everybody else in this country has access to their constitutional rights, you lose all of yours. Uh, That's the 14th Amendment, the 15th Amendment, the 4th, the 6th, the 8th. All of those are no longer uh, applicable to you unless the prison says it's applicable to you. And that's why uh, the Department of Justice can come to a state like Alabama and investigate it, find out that there's rampant violations of your Eighth Amendment, and here we are like a year later where nothing has gotten done about because uh, you are not uh, applicable for those constitutional rights because of the 13th Amendment. You're no longer a citizen. You are literally state property. And the sad thing about these exception clauses is that nowhere in there does it say you get your rights back after you served your time and been released. So all across the country, people are disenfranchised, unable to vote, unable to get assistance through the state, unable to get uh, Section 8 if they may need it, food stamps if they may need it, uh, educational grants if they may need it, simply because they have been convicted of a felony, even though they paid their time. The other states that don't have an exception clause fall under the jurisdiction of the 13th Amendment. And we've been working on those states, too, in order to insert anti-slavery language into their state constitutions, which would negate the 13th Amendment's power. Okay, well, you covered my next question because I was just about to ask you that. So, um, okay, so now that you covered that, because, like you said, there has to be specific language in it. It has to be a double-edged sword. First, it has to remove it from the state's constitution. And then second, it has to affirmatively say that it rejects it as an institution, even as it regards the 13th Amendment. I don't know exactly what that would look like, but that's what you were basically describing, that it would have to cover both areas because technically, even though a state can remove it from their state constitution, they still can defer to the 13th Amendment as long as the 13th Amendment still stands. Is that correct? 
Well, that's where you fall into the category of states' rights. So, for instance, in California, marijuana is legal all across the board, but it's still uh, illegal on a federal level. So it falls down to state rights at that point. So the state can defend its own rights. And if your constitution says that slavery is illegal, then it's up to the state to defend that constitution of the state and not to allow the federal government to impose its will upon a state that has already decided that they will not tolerate slavery. Uh, A couple of states have already removed their language from their state constitutions that we Colorado and Rhode Island. So we have two that already don't have these exception clauses. And there's three states on the ballot this year already who are uh, attempting to remove their pro-slavery language from their state constitutions. And one of them stands out, which we were just talking about, is New Jersey. New Jersey doesn't have any pro-slavery language in its state constitution. So it falls under the jurisdiction of the 13th Amendment. So in order to counter that 13th Amendment, they're inserting anti-slavery language into their state constitution through the Amend the 13th campaign, which is run by Brother Dennis Fibo, who you've talked to before. Okay, Brother Max. So, like, okay, I don't know the exact number of how many states were in existence. Um, For the states that weren't in existence at the time when the 13th Amendment was ratified, let's say those states came after the fact and they never ratify, or do they have to ratify? Do there have to be an affirmative statement from the state saying that they adopt the 13th Amendment language? Is that required before it can affect the state? Because if if a state was not in existence, just hypothetically, and they came after the ratification process, and they never um, ratified it or never um, said that they would accept that part of the Constitution, um, where does that? Where would those type of states? And, and are there any, and how, how are those issues like that resolved? Yes, there's quite a few states like that. Uh, three examples would be California, Colorado, and Utah, which were not slave states, uh, and they adopted this language after they became part of the Union. Um, so those are three examples of it. And as far as how do they fall into that, it's an automatic given that the federal constitution is the supreme law of the land. And because the federal constitution has this exception clause in the 13th Amendment, any state that became a part of the union automatically fell under their jurisdiction unless they put in their constitution otherwise. And the only state that had done that prior uh, to 1865 was Rhode Island. I believe theirs, they put theirs in, in 1840 or so. 1841, and they were the first and only state at that point to abolish slavery without any exception at all. It simply says slavery is abolished in the state of Rhode Island, period. <laughs> and that, that's all you need. So, so Max, yeah. now we, we've, had this, we've had this conversation, Max. Um, they just removed the language in Colorado. I don't know exactly what the language was. You may know it. You may know a little bit uh, more about it. But, like, you just gave the example of Rhode Island. Okay, how does that affect the way that the prison system is structured? And, and is that something that has been challenged, or has it, or to your knowledge, has it not been challenged in the context of these, these, these prisons? Rhode Island never took advantage of the fact that they were the only state to actually abolish slavery. Because, you know, 
between 1910, I'd say, and 1960, nobody really addressed this as slavery. Even during the period when Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X was out here and they were fighting for civil rights, convict leasing existed right then. It was rampant all around them, and they never addressed it at all. Uh, and I believe a lot of that became, came from indoctrination. You know, we often look at people who are behind bars and say, you know, if you're behind bars, you must have done something wrong, and you deserve to be there. And that's the farthest thing from the truth. But nonetheless, that's what a lot of people believe. Uh, they think that everybody behind bars is a murderer or a killer or a violent criminal, and that is so far from the truth. 70% of the people who are in prison today are there for nonviolent, drug-related, addiction-related, poverty-related crimes. They're not there because they murdered somebody or raped somebody and all of these different things. Uh, their primarily purpose for being in prison is to generate income for the prison industry. So Rhode Island never exploited the fact that they were the only state at that time to not have an exception clause to, uh, to slavery. But Colorado in 2018 took theirs out. And now they're exercising their rights. And we just had the first lawsuit issued from five prisoners in Colorado who are challenging uh, slave-like conditions and slave labor in court. So we're going to be watching this case with Colorado very closely and communicating with the attorneys who are behind it in order to assist them in the case. We want this case to succeed. We want them to successfully challenge this because that will open up the door for other states all across America to do, to do the same. Okay. So, Max, um, just switching over here to Alabama a little bit now, um, because we're in the midst of a $2 billion investment in prisons. The governor is adamant about getting it built. Um, the commissioner and her are in lockstep. And so the conversation is around the, no new prisons for various different reasons, but none of the conversation is talking about uh, slavery and what the building of these new prisons mean in that context. So if you would, can you can you make the connection between the conversation about slavery, what's going on in Alabama, and why it will be to the benefit of the people in the state of Alabama who are trying to stop these prisons from getting built to embrace the concepts of slavery into their argument? Absolutely. And even better than that, I will let the slavers tell you themselves exactly what it is they're trying to do with these prisons in Alabama. It has nothing to do with crime. It's all about jobs and money. And I prepared a clip that we can play. It's about a six-minute long clip, if that's okay with you, where you can hear it from their own mouths, where they tell you exactly what they're trying to achieve and why they're doing this and, and who's going to benefit from them. So, I'll ask my assistant today, Sharon Smith, if you don't mind, go ahead and play that clip, uh, which is Alabama's for-profit prison slavery system. Got it. Officials in Alabama have until next week to improve safety throughout the state's troubled prison system. The Justice Department demanded an overhaul after an investigation found conditions unconstitutional violating the Eighth Amendment protections against cruel and unusual punishment. Chef Pagayes takes us inside. You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. For the New Jack City. Abolition. Abolition. Elmore County is ground zero of any prison reform efforts in the state. The county is home to five facilities operated by the Alabama Department of Corrections, which create a total of 595 jobs. 
Elmore has the most correctional facilities of any county in the state. The facilities here make up about 17% of the DOC's total employment. Chairman, give me an idea of what the Elmore County Commission is doing to preserve the Department of Corrections presence in Elmore County. Yeah, we're very focused on doing what's best for Elmore County and the citizens here. We have a lot of exposure uh, to the corrections uh, business here in Elmore County. We've got several prisons, lots of employees, and so we want to make sure that we're doing what's best for the citizens here and protecting our uh, economic interests and, and the jobs here. It's not just Elmore County that benefits from these jobs in, in the Department of Corrections facilities. That's right. We have over a $30 million payroll and over 700 jobs here. And many of those employees do come from surrounding counties, Autauga County, Tallapoosa, Coosa County, and Montgomery County. And so we recognize that this is a, a regional um, event that we need to uh, monitor and, and get the pulse of uh, throughout the legislative process. Protecting our uh, economic interest, economic interest, economic interest. Senator, you were key in getting the current prison reform bill out of the Senate into the House. Give us an idea of why you think the bill is going to work for the strengths. Well, there's a couple of key components. Uh, one is we did away with the design-build aspect and went back to the current design-bid aspect that we use in state government now. So that was a big, uh, a big win to try to get that out. Uh, but the biggest, the biggest issue, issue is, uh, especially with Elmore County, and uh, making sure, sure that we keep those jobs there and uh, have that opportunity. Uh, the way the bill is structured now, uh, Elmore County has a say in what's going to happen. Uh, the original bills, they really had no say. It was just going to happen. Now we have some ability to affect the process. So that's a, that's a big, big win in the bill. Clyde, Elmore County is in your district. How important is it to keep all the prisons in Elmore County? Well, it's very important, but more, more important, important than that is the wardens who are there in those prisons, working in those prisons. Those wardens are the ones who are protecting us as a society from those who would seek to do us harm. I, re I represent, represent those wardens. wardens. So getting them uh, and the prisons into a, a more secure, a more stable environment is very, very important because those wardens deserve to go home to their families every night. Now, what about the economic development for Elmore County? How important is that How for important the continued economy? It, it is important, and uh, if one of these prisons are built there, it actually would be an increase probably from around 400 jobs to 700 jobs. So it, it could, could be, be a significant, significant economic, economic uh, positive impact, impact if, 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 if a new prison is built there. You always hear about how thankless it is to be a public servant in America. But down in Alabama, there's one sheriff there who has found his job very enriching. Alabama sheriff accused of keeping money meant to feed inmates for himself. A published report hints that Etowah County Sheriff Todd Entrican took so much of that money, he bought an expensive beach house. Okay, that is wild. Apparently, this sheriff took $750,000 that was supposed to feed inmates in a prison and used it to buy a beach house. Maybe the reason the sheriff wasn't trying to hide it is that he didn't care about being caught because it turns out, and this shocked me when I found this out, in Alabama, it's not against the law. Because a Depression-era state law makes Alabama sheriffs personally responsible for feeding inmates, 
the performance bonus Edrickin gave himself is legal. Over the last three years, the sheriff's food program has run under budget, letting him pocket the leftovers. I haven't done anything wrong. If they, if, if it's wrong, somebody needs to change the law. Anybody that gets out here and works every day, and at the end of the day, if you make a profit, it's yours. <laughs> first of all, first of all, I cannot believe that that's a law. Any money you don't use to do your government job, you get to keep for yourself. I feel like that just gives public officials an incentive to do their jobs badly. And by the way, this wouldn't be as bad if the sheriff was taking the money, but only after feeding the inmates. But just look at what this guy is passing off as food. Etowah County Sheriff Todd Endrickens proud of his jail food. These meal trays serve to inmates every day. Just look at the food that he served the prisoners. That, look at that. Look at just like white everything. The only thing that white normally in Alabama is a clam rally. What is that? And like, and like once you've learned, once you've learned that the sheriff makes money off of prisoners, it makes you hear all of his other law enforcement decisions in a new light. This is a major story. Heroin, heroin, fentanyl. You know, we've got to do something. Treating folks isn't the way to stop these folks. We've got to put people back in jail. We've got to put folks in jail and make them accountable, hold them accountable for what they're doing. Yeah, it makes sense. Of course he wants more people in prison because that means more food budget for him to take home. Hey, he's probably walking around his town like jaywalking, 30 years in prison. Some kid walks up to him and he's like, Billy stole my lollipop. He's like, well, Billy's going to jail. And you're also going for snitching. I'm sorry, this guy's unbelievable. He's probably the only person who watched Shawshank Redemption and was inspired by the warden. That's who he seems I represent the warden. Everybody wants to think that if they were alive during slavery, they'd be an abolitionist. Everybody wants to think that if they were active during the time of lynching, they'd be rallying against and trying to prevent lynchings. Most of us believe that if we were alive in, in a position to march in the 1950s, we'd be on the side of Dr. King. But today, we're in the face of all of these problems. One, One in three black, black male babies, babies is expected to go to jail or prison. Uh, there are these constant unarmed shootings, shootings of unarmed black people. And the question is, if we're not prepared to respond to these issues, if we're not prepared to act today, then I don't think we can claim that we would have acted any differently during slavery and lynching and segregation. So that consciousness for me is critical to creating our institutions, not just the press, but our courts, the police, law enforcement, our elected officials, uh, to think differently about this continuing bias and discrimination that manifests itself all the time, all the time, all the time. Change your mind. Stop calling it the things that it is not. It's not mass incarceration. It's not all those things I mentioned before. What is it? Slavery. What do we want to hear? Slavery. What are we fighting? Slavery. You just heard it directly from the horse's mouth. These are elected officials who were telling you in no uncertain terms that this has nothing to do with crime and punishment. It's about economic development, that they will go from 400 jobs in Elmore County to doubling that number, as much as 700 or more jobs. The money that comes in for the operations of the prisons is an economic stimulus to those counties, and that is what they depend on. So it doesn't matter what the crime rate is, it's all about creating jobs and all about creating income using the prisons and the criminal justice system to do so. You even had the sheriff come on 
where this sheriff made so much money by starving prisoners in jail that he was able to go out and buy a $700,000 condominium. A freaking sheriff was able to buy that on a sheriff's salary by skimming the money off the top and starving the prisoners. So this ain't about crime and punishment, and they just told you what it's about. Okay, but Max, but, but the conversation in Alabama is not that. You know, the people that are talking about it and that have guys who are incarcerated believing that they're advocating for us, they're not using those terms. They don't talk about slavery. They're not talking about the information that you just shared with us in the video. So, I mean, what is the what is the, the foundation for the conversation in Alabama? Where is that conversation being held? What do you think that conversation should look like? And what is the network that you're a part of doing to bring that conversation to the state of Alabama? Um, part of the Abolish Slavery National Network, which can be found at abolishslavery.us, is to organize within the states and assist organizations within the states to either remove their exception clause to make slavery illegal or to insert anti-slavery language for the same purpose. In Alabama, you have your own exception clause, and it can be removed from your state constitution by a simple ballot initiative. Right now, you have a ballot initiative in Alabama called Amendment 4. 4 is supposed to remove the racist language that is permeating throughout your state constitution. Unfortunately, Amendment 4 does not address the exception clause in your state constitution, which allows prisoners to be slaves if they are duly convicted. Uh, so the conversation needs to be on that exception clause. They're not addressing it as slavery because no one was addressing it as slavery until uh, within the past 10 years or so. Uh, they were under the impression that slavery had ended, despite the fact that your prison population was sometimes as much as 300% occupancy in the places where you're at right now, they still did not address it as slavery, despite the fact that they were using these prisons as economic development programs, they still did not address it as slavery, and they're still not doing it right now. So it's our purpose and our goal to bring that conversation to Alabama and to organize with you and with outside organizations in order to bring this to light, to abolish slavery in the state of Alabama, and then start challenging slave-like conditions that you know you exist in. The Department of Justice has already concluded their investigation. They found out that these are rampant Eighth Amendment violations, not just for the men, but for the women as well. The conversation that you guys had with the women of Tutwiler, uh, where they was talking about women were being raped by the guards, having babies by the guards that were being sent to these adoption agencies that were run by people from Russia. And uh, the women were being molested and uh, forced to perform sexual acts or strip dances and things like that in order to get basic necessities like tampons and, and things like that. So, you know, we know the crime is happening. We know the Constitution, uh, constitutional rights are being violated, but it's not being addressed properly. And the proper way to address this is to treat it as slavery, not as a mistake that Alabama is making, but something they're doing on purpose. Uh, there's a link that I'll share when I get the opportunity, but I want to read a quote out of it, if you don't mind. And uh, this comes from 
the convict me system digital history ID 3179. And it says that convict leasing began in Alabama in 1846 and lasted until July 1st, 1928, when Herbert Hoover was vying for the White House. In 1883, about 10% of Alabama's total revenue was derived from convict leasing. In 1898, just a, a decade plus later, nearly 73% of the total revenue came from this same source. Death rates among leased convicts were approximately 10 times higher than the death rates of prisoners in other le- in, in non-leased states. And in 1873, for example, 25% of all black lease convicts died, possibly the greatest impetus for the continued use of convict labor in Alabama was the attempt to depress the union movement. They were literally working people to death, and it became the number one industry. 73% of the economy was dependent on leasing convicts in Alabama. And this wasn't before 1865. This was after 1865 that Alabama started adopting this ideology of using prisoners as their source of income for the entire freaking state. And that's continuing today, as you just said, rather than reduce the number of prisoners that they have inside those walls, people who should have been out years ago or should have never been there, the alternative they chose was to spend a billion dollars, or like you said, upwards of $2 billion, to build more prisons. And it's not, again, because crime and punishment. It was because of economic development plan. So your governor is doing this in order to enrich the state of Alabama, not to solve the problem of crime and punishment. Okay, Max, um, we talked about that in in the sense of the legal aspect and the work that you're doing as, as, as an abolitionist on the outside, but now let's talk about the enslaved, the people on the inside, the, 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 the contributions that we're making, the things that we're doing. We're giving them our labor. You don't have slavery without the slave, and it's about the labor. You've talked about it. You said it's about getting the jobs to, to make the labor work. So what is your message to the enslaved and what they're doing and what they can do to, to become a part of this abolitionist movement to stop or end slavery um, in this country? Actually, I'm following your lead on that, brother. You've got the best ideas, and you've already incorporated it now on multiple occasions, and that is to deny them the source that they depend on, which is your prison labor. Uh, You've had several prison labor work strikes that have become nationwide with as many as 24 states involved, including other countries lending their support, like uh, Nova Scotia. So I believe that that is one of the answers to that question right there, is to listen to Brother Benu and Brother Kinetic and Mikael, who are organizing on the inside in Alabama, to deny them what it is that they want to have. That's your free labor uh, on a regular basis. So that's one example right there. Uh, You guys are the leaders in this part of the conversation. So maybe you should tell the people right now what they should be doing. Well, we'll get back to that in just a second. I want to wrap this interview up, and then actually we're going to transition into that. Kinetic Justice already has a message on that. Um, that's what the second half of the show is actually going to be about, so I don't want to overstep the bounds. Uh, make sure Kinetic get a chance to put his show on as planned. Um, so we're going to get ready to wrap up, Brother Max. Um, any parting words that 
that you want to share contact information. Uh, what can people do to get in contact with you? Um, you know, what's going on that they can get involved in? How can they be assisted? Just share some parting words with the audience here live on the plantation. Awesome. Oh, absolutely. Uh, please go to abolishslavery.us and sign up and support. If you represent an organization or if you're a state representative, because we have many state representatives involved, please let us know on the website so that we can work with you and provide you with the resources and the tech, uh, technological know-how in order to remove slavery from the state constitution or insert anti-slavery language. Uh, we've got as many as 25 states already on board who are organizing to get this done. So that's abolition or abolishslavery.us. And also continue to listen to us here at abolitiontoday.org, either live on the plantation or abolition today, which is Sundays and Thursdays. So we're constantly breaking these things down like we're doing here today. So I would follow uh, those programs and sign up at the website. And you can follow me on social media at Max Parthas, M-A-X-P-A-R-T-H-A-S. I'm constantly putting out information on what we're doing and how we're doing it. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing what you guys got to say next because one of the things that intrigues me the most is your ideas about how to take over the political structure in your city and in counties simply by uh, having your family members or just a small percentage of them follow suit to what you're asking them to do. And I remember a few weeks ago you were saying that if you do that, sometimes votes or or elections are decided by 100 or 200 or 1,000 votes, and you're able to generate that many votes just through the supporters that you have. So I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say on that because you and other brothers like you and sisters are leaders in this as well. I, I want to say thank you for giving me this chance, man. I'm with you guys every week. Hey, man, hey, Max, we appreciate you being on. And, look, what we're going to do is we're going to go into a break, and then when we come out of the break, we're going to leave you on if people want to call and ask questions or comments. And then after the break, Kinetti is going to take over the show, and then he's going to get into the second half. But Brother Max will still be on standby. If you have questions, comments, or concerns, you are live from the plantation. We appreciate you joining us every Thursday night, 7 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time. We'll be back right after the break. Brother Kinetic, Brother Max, Mikael, some new brothers in the struggle. Everyone's coming back live from the plantation. Hey, uh, Sharon, go ahead and play that third track in a row. Got it. I can't breathe. God damn, I can't breathe. Our voices are being quarantined. COVID-19, 60s to 16, 19. Jamestown choked me, sold me. Shackles hold me tightly by my neck. And I can't breathe again. 2020 ain't no fucking vision on your television. Or why I'm living like a prejudged villain. CNN, Fox News, commentating and debating why I can't fucking breathe again. How many times do I have to say this? I'm taking the gloves off because racism is the main deadliness that's contagious. I just got diagnosed and received a degree in criminology, but fuck your education. I don't want to learn shit from a nation that's racist. The definition of policing, overseeing property. I can't understand how the white man never understood how to handle the human properly. Honorable Elijah Muhammad and the noble Jew Ali spoke constantly, consciously, and cautiously about this ungodly prophecy. You still worried about your prophecy? 
Amazon deliveries, handouts, hands up, don't shoot, but now your knees are on my neck, stopping me from occupying oxygen that God obviously brought for me, for I am his offspring, his true seed, motherfucker, get off of me, please, I can't breathe, please, somebody call the police on the police, cause I can't breathe. Again, and everything hurts. Your words, your knees, your nerve. Your white wife who had the nerve to say she was frightened by black life while my face was on a fucking curve. I ain't scared of no fucking virus. This mask is for a riot. I can't breathe, and the media telling me to keep quiet, suffocating me into silence. The devil's greatest trick convincing the world that we were the ones who were violent. Nah, they the ones deficient, insufficient comprehension of their barbaric existence. Y'all worried about this pandemic when our grandparents still trying to recover from when you gave them syphilis. Because in our blood, we scared of white cells attacking our immunity. The system defective, infected. So who has the disease, you or me? Because I'm at a dis-ease, disadvantage, dismantled disability of your white knees killing me. Been on our neck for centuries. Knees are trees, either way you still lynching me. And what did we ever do to you except for build and make America great initially? Fuck again, cause I can't breathe. Potentially, you missing me. Clearly, not listening. Intentionally, we are a people of peace. But like Pac said, I ain't no killer, but your policies are pushing me further from the legislation. Jumping off the education. While your skinheads, the damnation, and your clandestine rhetoric will forever be evident. Fuck the elite in the top 3%. I'm heaven sent. I was born Asiatic, and you made me asthmatic, so fuck your vaccines and masks, you gon' worry about these hands tomorrow cause you can't sanitize the past, you may have took my last breath, but you'll never colonize my spirit, standing there watching while I die, I can't breathe, and you still can't hear it. Peace and blessings, uh, everyone. This uh, Brother Kinetic Justice Lamont. We're back uh, live from the plantation uh, tonight. Uh, we just wrapped up a, a beautiful interview uh, with our master teacher and our elder brother, uh, Brother Max Parker. Uh, and I'm talking about it was beautiful. It gave me a lot more insight into uh, the reasons why we do what we do and the necessity of doing what we do. Uh, Throughout the week, we've been having this conversation about solutions to problems. You know, for a long, long time, we've all identified problems, and we can continue to identify problems because problems are going to continue to come. Uh, but we try to surround ourselves around brothers that's talking about solutions. And the thing about having solutions to problems, they're really no good if you're not implementing them. Uh, and for the last six years, I know, uh, us at Free Alabama Movement, uh, through critical analysis and years and years of experience and study, we developed uh, what we felt uh, was an adequate solution uh, to the problems going on in the state of Alabama, uh, not just uh, in the prison system, but in the communities at large as well. Uh, and that plan, I'm going to talk a little bit tonight about that plan, uh, that solution, uh, and the need for us to implement it and why we can't wait, why procrastination is not in our best interest. 
uh, on several occasions, um, we've spoken about this solution. And I'm going to give a brief analysis before I get off into uh, the actual implementation of it. Uh, but we had a, a, a plan that we developed that was an ESP plan, and that was economically, socially, and politically. Economically, we understood uh, that the institution of slavery, uh, the Department of Corrections, uh, was in truth and, in fact, uh, all about economics. Therefore, we had to impact their economics some kind of way uh, by exerting our power, and we developed uh, the idea uh, further that work strikes uh, was the most effective thing that we could do economically uh, in our condition and in our situation. Uh, so we developed uh, comprehensively how work strikes should go in an institution and how to organize those work strikes in institutions uh, as we've proven and several times that we uh, know exactly how to organize uh, prisons into work strikes and multiple prisons into work strikes. But that's a most effective economical uh, exertion of our power. Socially, uh, we use uh, social media, all social media platforms. We have a group of people on the outside that support. Uh, we have the Queen team. You know, we have different organizations on the outside that help to promote uh, the inhumanity uh, that we uh, experience on the inside. So we have a, a apparatus that, that attacks uh, the morality of the situation by socially exposing uh, the inhumanity that the people in Alabama prison system are going through. Politically uh, is the part that I want to uh, get a little more in depth on tonight, uh, the political aspect. Uh, we developed uh, the Non-Alliance People's Party, that's NAP, uh, as an extension of the Free Alabama Movement. NAP, in, in a sense, uh, is a voting block uh, that deals with brothers and sisters that are incarcerated uh, as a class of people. We understand that uh, if the numbers of people that are incarcerated as saying 20 to 25,000 people that are incarcerated, that if we can get a small fraction of the say 5,000 of the people on the inside to get one or possibly two people to commit uh, to vote uh, their interest uh, in local elections. Uh, we're talking about a number that could, like I said, could change any election in this state uh, because these local elections are usually uh, decided by a hundred or 200 votes. Uh, at the most, and a lot of people are not participating in these local elections as they don't see the importance of it, uh, and they fail to realize that these are the people who directly impact uh, their lives. If we can tap into this process and exert our power here uh, while simultaneously exerting our economical power to have these prisons shut down and have the world know and to expose these people for what they're actually doing and, and our justification in doing what we're doing, why politically exerting power that we can push legislation through to actually change a lot of the things that's going on uh, with Alabama prison system in general. But that's just a little brief overview of uh, what I wanted to discuss tonight about why we can't wait. Uh, but before I get further in detail, I have uh, several other brothers uh, uh, in the queue with me that I, I want to give an opportunity uh, to, to speak their piece as well. Uh, first of all, I got to know how brother Mikael uh, welcome, Brother Mikael, into the whole school. Let's see if we got something. Is Brother Mikael still on? Now, hear me, bro. 
Yeah, we can hear you now. Oh, God. Yeah, uh, I'm listening, right? And I had just posted a video right before the show that uh, appalled me because it was a New York City police officer who was stating that, you know, people are making a... Uh, uh, an assertion that there are good cops and bad cops and he's saying it doesn't matter if it's good cops or bad cops because they all work for a system that is systematically racism because they are giving them quotas that they must meet and then giving them a targeted neighborhood that they must meet these quotas in so it's not about whether you're a good cop or bad cop or like uh, Max said, this is not about something that these people are making a mistake. This is actually done on purpose. And we are not considered a civilian or a human being. We are not being serviced by a public servant. We are considered a cash crop. And we are being utilized like a battery for these people's economics. You know what I'm saying? And it's being done to purpose. So the cop said, you know, hey, I, I got to have a job. I got to feed my family. So I got to go into this neighborhood that they target that they sending me into. And I have to arrest this man. So that's why you have children like the boy in Boston who are randomly picked up on the street and thrown into the paddy wagon so hard that they break their neck. You know what I'm saying? So, again, he said that crime and punishment are not correlated. We know this by the numbers. Uh, when Ronald Reagan and, and, and uh, Richard Nixon started their war on drugs, drug crime and drug use was at an all-time low. There was only 300,000 people that were incarcerated. But between 1982, when Ronald Reagan began moving his pieces on the board, and 1991, which is only a nine-year period, the population of the prison system in this country boomed from 300,000 to 3 million. And we made up the majority of those numbers. We trumped up drug charges, things related to poverty and addiction. These people systematically set this whole demo into place, and they are doing it on purpose. This is not a mistake. This is not prison reform. This is not criminal justice reform. This is modern-day slavery, and it was done on purpose. Systematically. I share with that, bro. All right, that's peace. That's peace from Mikael. Yeah, that's peace. Uh, I also want to introduce into the host to uh, uh, the God, Bro Wise. Uh, Bro Wise, you still with me? Yeah, hello, you can hear me? Yes, sir, I can hear you. You hear me? Yes, sir, I can hear you. Okay, okay, peace, peace, man. Yeah, man, that was all powerful words that Bro Mikael spoke on. And just a sound a little bit more that he said that how systematically through the 13th Amendment how they have things intact that do attack a group of people or certain people to all to the to where they in certain communities they attack certain family members because they understand that systematically they trying to get more people into this system and something else that I I would like to shine a light on is that how economically that we we spoke we speak about on the state level. How these state prisons are affected by the 13th Amendment, also on the federal level. But also, they need to be talked about how these county jails being filled up, how these city jails be filled up. You know, also even down to the youth detention centers, you know, even down to the school, from the school to prison pipeline, how they had the zero tyrant um, policies intact. So, you know, it's not only just through the 13th Amendment, but they have law, they have policies, even within the governmental. 
agencies that also contribute to the 13th Amendment due to the enslavement of a certain class of people, certain group of people, or just in people generally. So we also have to attack, you know, the local officials because they upheld and they enforce the local policies that also they contribute to the 13th Amendment, even down to certain roadblocks that you have in certain communities because you know that they ain't able to pay for the fines, so you need a certain amount of people in your jails from your county in local jails so you could better get some grant money for having so many people in your county jail. So we have to look at that, too, when we talk about the 13th Amendment, how this affects us on a local level, man, because it's not only just affecting people that you want to class those as violent or non-violent, but it's all the way down to misdemeanors, too, and fines. You know, it's all about the economic. You are not here, got a, 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 a traffic stop because you're saying, oh, this is a weekend and we want to make sure that people ain't driving fast or you drunk and driving. You know, concerned about people driving so fast, you want to have, you want to have on the cars over 100 mile per hour. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it, it, it's, it's little small things like that uh, that's really on a bigger scale that we also could attack, you know, when we talk about this Thirteenth Amendment, how it's it's a it's a trillion dollar. I like to say I like to go big with it. It's a trillion dollar industry, man, that we have to break, that we have to start, and it's all from the backbone of Thirteenth Amendment, man. And we have to attack, and we can't forget about the youth that is also affected by the Thirteenth Amendment, and all, uh, and our piece of that. Brother Wise, you also said that uh, it didn't. This doesn't just affect uh, us in individuals, which it doesn't. It resonates throughout the whole household of the people that they are enslaved. And these people are well aware of what they have done and how they do it because what they do is they actually study every move that they make before they make it. And what they did in the late 70s is they called on the leading criminologists across the country to do a study on the juvenile and adult penal system and the ramifications of it. And what these people came back to the table and said was that prison and the juvenile system did not deter crime, but it breeded crime. Because you would be locked up for a petty crime, and then in this place where they throw everybody in a, in a mix, where you would end up getting becoming a jack of criminal trade. You would be in, induced and indoctrinated into being a real criminal if you weren't one. See what I'm saying? So these people were actually yeah. brewing the pot. They were actually brewing the pot for the criminal system. See what I'm saying? So these people, man, listen, they 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 well aware of what they're doing and what they got going on, but the main point I'm trying to make is this is not where the monsters are sent. This is where the monsters are created, and therefore it doesn't just affect us. It affects the society that they send us back into, and it affects the people in society that they took us away from. You see what I'm saying? These children are out here right now with no concept of responsibility and no uh, regard for the life of another human being because they have no influence in their life in that regard. For everyone who would influence them positively in that regard is stuck on a plantation. Not allowed. You have like 15 or 16. Say again, Matt. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know my mic was on. My bad, brother. Okay. So... You know, this is a system, man, that is a domino effect, and every part of it knocks another domino down and cripples us as a people, 
cripples us as a nation. This is this is a problem that affects us all, every American citizen. It must be addressed for what it is, slavery, and it is crippling to the black family, being crippling to the black man, and it is also crippling to the white man as well. This is a crippling system to anyone who calls himself an American, and they have to address this issue for exactly what it is. It is modern-day slavery, and we are well beyond those times and well uh, into a, 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 a phase of life that we we got to adjust and we got to adapt and we have to be humane and we have to deal with these issues for the final time and, and abolish them all together. This is not a reform issue. This is an abolish issue. Abolish slavery. Thank you for letting me share. Yeah. Yeah, that was pitiful. Uh, yeah, like you said, uh, Brother Mikael, yeah, that is the issue that, you know, is following us as a whole, as a people, you know. And I also want to address that, you know, me listening to Joe Biden when he, when, you know, when he when he spoke on the, uh, on the House floor, when he was presenting the Crime Bill Act, he had said something, you know, that was kind of like mind-blowing to me. But, you know, it ain't mind-blowing, but he said 15 years from now, you know, when he was talking about super predators, he said, you're going to have, you know, these insurance on these individuals out here, they're going to have no conscience. So, you know, and I look at that, and I look at, you know, the policies they have attacked, they have attacked, you know, when they're dealing with certain issues, you know, why do you feel as if a caution rate and a lock of someone up would be the problem to fix? Is you knowing that it's a problem, you know, and your job is supposed to be solve problems, you know, why why isn't there no policy of no, 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 you know, no incentive, no, Rehabilitated program for service in act for the children or for individuals in these situations, for that whether it's the economic empowerment or even it's just dealing with social issues for the drug use or whatever may be the problem. And and I and I look at that being one of the main solutions that we should push for, and that that we, that should be our aim too to fix these problems. You're right, Brother Wise, and the reason why they do not look at these situations from that point of view is because this is not a reform issue for them. This is an economic issue for them. So the quota that the New York police officer was talking about earlier, one of those grants is the Burns grant. That grant comes from a New York City police officer who was shot sitting in his police car in the 80s. Okay, this grant allows for local police departments to receive not only funding, but military, uh, passed down military equipment for meeting these quotas that they get, all right? So what they did was when Ronald Reagan first issued his war on drugs in 1982, the FBI was all on blue-color crime. They took half of them and put them on street crime, which kind of rubbed the local police the wrong way. They said, hey, this is our job. So they said, okay, we'll leave it to you, but this is what we want you to do. We want you to go into these neighborhoods, and we want you to arrest these, uh, this many of these particular people. We don't care what you do or how you do it. You can keep all the money you get off of them. You can keep all of the property you see, and we'll give you this grant. We'll give you this military gear, and we'll give you this federal money, this federal funding every year. So right then, if we wasn't already, we no longer named or a citizen or a member of the community that is being serviced by a public servant, we became a number, the number 100 person that they needed to arrest 
in order to make this quota for the week or the month to get this federal funding and get this burns plant and to get this military gear that they were trying to they were trying to get. So it has absolutely nothing to do with reform, with the safety of the community, with crime and punishment. They are not correlated at all. Look at the numbers and the statistics and you will see that punishment has absolutely nothing to do with the statistic of crime. So this is all economic. It's all the economical uh, ploy, and it's set up to funnel our people directly from the womb into this penal system so that they can get paid off of us. Every aspect, every aspect. You know, we get a lot deeper into it, but I'm a, I believe everybody is well aware by now, you know, that these people have geared up this game against us and set up the odds against us in so many different ways from our education to our economics to, to uh, the, the conditions of our community. I mean, we, we, we just funnel straight in here, man. We have half a chance. And to the brothers and sisters who did make it, who didn't get this thing, man, it was, it was just the grace of God. It was a straight, it, it, it was a blessing because like two out of three of us get this thing. You see what I'm saying? Two out of three of us are going to see the prison system, without a doubt. Every black man and black woman, two out of three of us, is going to see it. And once you are labeled a convict, a convicted felon, it doesn't matter if you come to prison or if you get probation or if you come to prison and get out. You are now relegated to the lower class, or not even the lower class, you're relegated to the underclass, underneath the lower class. You barred from everything that a black man or a Negro was barred from as a black man in the height of Jim Crow segregation. No public assistance, no no federal assistance. Uh, you can't vote. You can't have a right to bear arms. I mean, man, these folks are very swift in, in how they done ran their demo, man. And we keep on talking about reform and keep on looking at it like it's a handful of people that's making a mistake in their approach to reform. No, this, this is a systematic form of oppression and economic growth for an oppressor that has been well doctored and well put into motion. And uh, it has many aspects to it that drive it. And until we understand it for what it is, address it for what it is, we'll never get nowhere in trying to fight it. And we've we, we got, we got to keep that in mind. This is abolished slavery. This is not prison reform. It's not justice reform, this is abolished slavery. I appreciate that. That's right and exact. That's right and exact, uh, brother Mikael. Uh, one of the things I, I want to I bounce back to um, while we're having this conversation of abolishing slavery and so forth, um, I want us to stay focused on, on implementation right here at this gap. Uh, because there's a lot of things going on that need addressing, but it's clear that nobody's going to address it. You know, so nobody's coming to save us. Therefore, we can only come together and, and work and fight to save ourselves. You know, we, we can continue to procrastinate. Uh, we can continue to make excuses. But we know what got to be done. It's all about just doing it. Uh, we can all come up with, with reasons why it shouldn't be done or can't be done. We can come up with all the foolishness we need to in order to dissuade ourselves from taking direct action uh, because that's that's what it's going to take. We, we're going to have to demand 
that this be abolished. We're going to have to demand that this system be dismantled. And only thing that we have at our dispense and our disposal right now is our economics, our labor. I'm speaking to those brothers on the inside. I'm saying we have a role to play in this national movement to abolish slavery, not just from the language of constitutions, but the actual implementation of it throughout this country. The slave is the one who ends slavery. Everyone else aid and assist. We, like I said, we have an economical plan of attack. We have a social plan of attack, and we have a political aspect that we're working on. We could wait until we get the complete political aspect together and get everything. You know, we could use all those rationales. Let's wait. Let's get this. We ain't ready. We can do this. But just like in 2014, we didn't have a lot of stuff fully developed. But our situation is so dire that we can't wait. I'm talking about brothers dying around here every day. You know, the the overdoses, the stabbing, the, you know, disease, you know, the lack of medical care, you know, bad food. The list go on and on of ways that we dying out. The court system them almost cut us off completely from being able to file anything from the Prison Litigation Reform Act to, you know, the procedure bars and affirmative defenses and they didn't bar us into the prison system. The parole board has became even more stringent than it ever has been in the state of Alabama. No one is making parole anymore. I'm talking about when you talk about seven people out of 130, then that's practically nobody's going home anymore. They have boxed us in and they plan to continue to box us in under dehumanizing conditions, no matter what we said, no matter what the legislators said, no matter what the Department of Justice said, no matter what the federal judges said, nobody is addressing the issue of what's going on with us. And nobody seems to even care to the point that they're going to do something. But I don't blame them. I would not do anything either if the people who were directly being impacted was not doing something about it. It's on us. We can keep procrastinating, man, from institution to institution. These brothers ain't going to do nothing. These brothers flocked out. These brothers on this. These brothers on that. Where the men at? It don't take but a handful of men to come together and establish what it is. And through the dynamics of the way these prison systems work, the rest of them going to fall in line. But if we trying to go home, if we serious about freedom, if we serious about going home, we serious about creating something better for our children and grandchildren, then we got to stop sitting down. We got to stop procrastinating. We got to get up and just do it. As the God, as the God of Sealy say, when the spirit say move, you just got to move, man. We can't keep waiting. We can't keep procrastinating. It's time for us to demonstrate. It's time for us to make it clear that this is unacceptable, that we have tried your process. We have went through the media. We done went through the politicians. We done went all the way to 
Washington, D.C., and got the Department of Justice to come and verify and validate everything we see. Media all across the country highlighting everything about what's going on in Alabama. But don't nobody take it serious. And the reason they ain't taking it serious is because we acting like it ain't that serious. It's time for us to suit up and boot up, man. Start reaching out, start networking, start pulling brothers together because we have to unify and get on a collective basis and go on and address this, man. I'm talking about we got to address it. I'm talking about I ain't talking about next year. I'm talking about in the next few weeks, in the next month or so, we need to be coming together, putting something together, and we ready to ride. That's what I'm talking about. It's time for us to stop procrastinating, man. We can't wait, man. We know the history of this system. We got master teachers like the Brother Max just gave us a full historical breakdown of their purpose and intent with their exception clause and their whole demonstration of slavery to convict leasing all the way up. He laid it out. We know the truth. We know the history. We got proof. But what we going to do with that truth? We're going to sit there and look at it, or we're going to put it into action and speak truth to power. That's my message to the brother. It's time to stop procrastinating, man. We can't keep waiting. We getting older. We getting sicker. Brothers dying every day. And we got to pull ourselves together and go on and address this. Ain't nobody else going to address it, man. You see it for yourself. Ain't nobody going to address it. We done went through every method and every channel that has been established. Don't nothing work. Don't nothing get their attention. But the money through economics is the only way we're going to get our voices heard. So with that being said, you know, uh, I'm going to open up uh, the host to uh, uh, Max. We have any callers uh, online at this moment? Uh, yes, you do. 7244, you are live from the plantation. Man, it's the last two plantation. digits of your number, 7244. You're live with us on, on Live from the Plantation. What's going on? Live from the Plantation. What's going on, brothers and sisters? Black family, peace, black peace. family. Peace. Peace, brother. Um, you know, you just said a mouthful, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to just, you know, cut straight to the chase because uh, I was having a conversation with a, uh, a uh, young man earlier, and we were speaking about uh, the mentality that the majority of, of our people carry as it relates to politics, right? Um, as we now might argue over who is the best slave master on the plantation, be it Biden or Trump, okay? We've got people down talking Trump or people down talking Biden when all in actuality they're the same slave master. Slave masters never they don't never give a darn about, you know, the, the, the slave. And I think it's very important, uh, you know, basically I just wanna add on to, you know, all of the influential, uh inspirational words that uh you gentlemen just gave and it's basically a one where, you know, we as African, as black, as melanated, the dark skinned, the dark complected colored people that we find ourselves identifying with today going through that struggle. 
of slavery, Jim Crow, all of these things, right? We identify with that side. We once came from a place where we ran the world, ran civilizations for thousands of years. But our historical content has now somehow been lost. Why? Because our children and we are the children that were trained and taught by European education, European standards. So now we're understanding the greatness of the victors that brought America where to to where we're, where it is. Uh, and you know, a lot of those victors and people that America praises is the same people that kept their foots on the backs of our ancestors. They're the same ones that chased and hunted our ancestors down like animals and killed them. So we have to be careful that we aren't helping. Uh, the slave master shine his his boot that's gonna kick us in our butt. You understand? We have to be careful, uh, and I, and I think it's, it's it's time for us to to definitely fight. I I definitely look at the importance of you know our economic power, but then I, I look at our history and look at what happened to Marcus Garvey's movement in the UNIA which they had thousands, they had millions of dollars with black folk collect, still got spoiled. You understand? That still got compromised, right? When we're looking at what happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, Green Rosewood, we're looking at very substantial black communities that had their businesses, had their economic power up and running. And what you saw is a disdain and a dislike in America where they would be the ones that perpetrated and were the ones that actually committed the atrocities of that we see in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 1921. So I'm a one that, you know, <clears throat> looks at the power that we're looking to seek as black folk, as African people, or is a one that we can't play around with, that we have to say that we, we've come back to take what was taken from us. When we do it just a little bit and we try to jiggle around and we dance around, he's only going to continue doing what he's, he's been doing, right? And we've had a lot of movements, not discounting any one movement, but when we're honest with participating in those movements and even also creating those movements, None, none have been basically significantly, significantly substantial here in 2020. So we still have to go back to the drawing board, and we're going to have to create something that is going to allow us to advance past these situations that our brothers and sisters are seeing themselves in in Alabama, here in South Carolina. You understand? Because the European, the cracker, the white man, he's only going to do as the brother said earlier, what he has designed the system to do, and that's to keep us enslaved. So we shouldn't be surprised now that it's slavery by another name. We shouldn't be surprised that the the school the school to prison uh, there's a school to prison pipeline where they're looking to wrong our little boys and little girls, although they come from some very crippling families with mother over here and father over there. So rather than the system sympathizing. They throw them in special needs class or throw them in special ed or now they're throwing them and sending them to jail rather than sympathizing and helping them. You understand? So it is up to us to go back to educating ourselves, finding the importance of doing this thing. And I'm I'm going to tell you not to step on anybody's toes, okay, 
But I remember growing up in the church, and I remember going to a church where in the Bible it might have had the son or description of son of man as having a burnt, uh, you know, skin of burnt bronze, burnt brass, wool, hair like wool, eyes like fire. But the, the actual description, the blasphemous image that we saw was a white man with long straight hair and pretty blue eyes, right? That's what we saw. So the conditioning in which we have to work to get into in order to get ourselves off of the plantation. We don't want to just go outside and, and no, we're not just trying to go to the mailbox of the plantation. We're trying to get the hell off this plantation for sure, for sure. You understand? So we're going to have to do some real, yeah, real no. due and some digging and, and, and get down to the root of the problem. And, you know, you guys are having a good show, man. So hopefully our people will start gravitating to things like this and start throwing away that slave mentality. Because as long as we have that slave mentality, the slave master is definitely going to exploit it. And as he should, this is war. This is a game. So he's trying to win. It's our dumb butt that have got lost in the sauce with it. However it got to be that way, you know, it's no excuse. You know, I can say the white man is right. very bad, but at the end of the day, only the strong survive. So we got to pick ourselves up. We got to work together. We can't wait for the white man to come save it for us. And we got to get these problems solved. Right, that's right. That's right in his name, bro. And we appreciate you listening in and calling in and, and giving your insight. We appreciate you, bro. Uh, Max, we have any other calls at this time? Uh, we don't have anybody with their hands up. So if you want to speak or ask a question, press one on your keyboard so that we know you want to speak. And if you're listening, uh, we did put out a wrong number earlier. So the call-in number is 515-605-9814. That's 515-605-9814. So please press one on your keyboard if you have a question or a comment. At this moment, we do not have anyone who has their hands up, brothers, uh, but we do got four lines open who were on from the very start. Okay, well, at this time, since we don't have any callers, give me a, a chance to, to introduce uh, some, uh, some new voices into this conversation. Uh, brothers are throughout the system that have linked in and so forth. Uh, our brother uh, OB, you still you still on, brother OB? Um, yes, sir, I'm still here, brother. Okay, uh, yes, sir, I can hear you clearly. Yes, um, I would like to um, thank you, um, for Kinetic, for Wise, for Mikhail, um, for Son, and um, for Max. Um, I'd like to reiterate many of the things you guys said, particularly what um, Brother Max um, put forward and also what um, Brother Kinetic put forward concerning, um, first of all, what Brother Max spoke about in terms of if this was the 50s and the 60s. Most of us would be um, speaking about what we'd be doing at the time, out there, marching, and doing whatever else needed to be done. And um, let's fast forward to today. What we have going on today is just as bad, if not worse than what was going on in the era of the 50s and the 60s. Um, we're living it. We're living proof of it. So what are we going to do? And um, personally, I feel like Brother Kinetic covered that pretty well. Uh, 
slavery is not going to end until the slaves stop being slaves, period. Um, there's no need to talk about it. They need to wait for some special circumstance to happen in order to, um, or some fertile ground or whatever the case, there's no need for any of that. The time is past, and um, every hour longer that we wait, we're going to see a lot more people die, we're going to see a lot more people get entrenched in the system that we find ourselves in right now. The time is now. There's no, there, 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 there should be nothing whatsoever that stops it. I just wanted to point that out there and to thank all the outside um, help, all the inside help, all the inside organizers. I say that, yes, we are one in spirit, but at the same time, yes, we on the inside have a job that needs to be done. Thank you for letting me share. Ain't no time like the present. No time like the present. Uh, I got another brother I want to uh, give opportunity to, uh, to say a little something. Uh, uh, bro Rock. You still with me, Bro Rock? Bro Rock made it got dropped off. But, we yeah, do have another As I was saying, uh, okay, yeah, at this time, okay, go ahead. Come on, uh, uh, call uh, Mac. All right, 7244, four, you're live from the plantation. Hey, what's going on, fam? This is Equanif. I just called. I got kicked off some kind of a way. Uh, yeah, I, I was just tuning in to this great, to this great uh, discussion, man. Good, we appreciate you, bro. We appreciate you live with us on the plantation. You know, this is what we do. We trying to get to you live, uncut and raw. We appreciate the support. We appreciate you listening and giving your insight. Uh, we ask you to keep listening and keep, you know, promoting and putting it out because uh, we trying to keep the conversation going and stimulate activity and action uh, because that's the whole thing. You know, we can talk about theories and so forth, but it's time for practice, practice putting things into actual practical application. Yeah. Let, can I ask you guys a question? Just uh... Certainly, certainly. What what do you guys feel like the atmosphere? I'm not sure. No, am I asking for anybody's uh, I guess actual uh, definite choice? But you know, a lot of people are basically hating Trump, and they're lifting up uh, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. And I haven't really gotten into you know the the intricacies of the crime bill that Joe Biden so-called created or I hadn't gotten into it but I have been you know nudged and tapped on my shoulder and, and informed that hey our people are basically you know jumping the the, the, the you know or looking to evade Trump in order to choose Biden but what do we say in this discussion with people like Biden and with people like President um, like uh, Bill Clinton that our people in particular they favor this uh, Bill Clinton, because our people love Bill Clinton, but I think Bill Clinton locked up the most Negroes ever in history. Uh, so, I mean, what 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 does that say about us uh, and and the things that we need to change? And even I'm not sure if Ice Cube's uh, plan, you know, should black folk be getting behind that versus trying to go vote, or how you guys feel, or 
What's what's the consensus as that relates to getting some of this stuff changed? And that if you don't mind, let me get this, bro. Uh, first and foremost, hey, bro, go ahead, bro. First and foremost, we know Joe Biden was a part of the crime bill. All right, that was this three strikes law, which got a lot of people banged up right now and banged right. up on my new stuff. All right. right. Then Bill Clinton took $17 billion from public housing and welfare and redirected it to prison expansion. More prisons was built underneath his watch than in the history of the plantation system. You feel me? All right. Then when you talk about even Barack Obama's term in office, two terms in office, he's a member of CFR, the Council of Foreign Relations. You have to know these people's relationships, and you also have to know the uh, nature of politics, all right? What you have going on with politics in America with this Republican and Democrat system, which is a reverse of the original public Republican and Democrat. So the people that Democrats today are the original Republicans, and the Republicans are the original Democrats, okay? These people are a ploy. That's why they call it the circus. It is to give you a false ideology and concept of uh, security that does not exist, okay? So this whole little skit that they run back and forth is to keep control over the lower class and the middle class and to reap the benefits for the upper class. You know what I'm saying? This is a buffering system. So what we have to do in our day is what we have to start breeding our own politicians. What we're doing now is rooting out. Right, right, uh, right, right. We're, we're rooting out political uh, uh, prosperity, so to speak. So all of this, getting paid to be a public servant, see, you shouldn't even really get paid to be a public servant. And if you do, it shouldn't be no $150,000, $250,000 a year. That cause, and then lobbying. If anybody understands the business of lobbying, then you'll understand how the corporations control our politicians who vote on every bill that comes through the House by uh, donating 150, 250, sometimes millions of dollars to their campaigns, and they take this money legally and can utilize it however they want to legally, knowing that they have to uh, vote in these people's favor whenever bills come across the table that relate to these people's corporations. You know what I'm saying? So this is how politics is infiltrated and flooded with corruption, and this is how commerce, economics, and big business and corporations control the politics of America. You see what I'm saying? So we have to do away with uh, all prosperity dealing with public service. So it shouldn't be a prison for profit. You see what I'm saying? You, it shouldn't be a, a sheriff that's allowed to legally pocket $750,000 in Alabama and laugh about it, you see what I'm saying, and still do it. All right, it shouldn't be public servants who are able to sell out their whole constitution or their whole constituency for a $150,000 lobbying check. And so first and foremost, we're fighting that. But secondly, we have to raise our own to hold these positions. We have to get involved in the political system. We have to do what uh, Kinetic was talking about, which is the NAP. You see what I'm saying? Which is bringing the voting block, making a voting block out of our family members and our our uh, fellow brothers and sisters in the struggle, and correlate on the, uh, the same issues. And we also, uh, man, we have to not only train our own to hold these positions. 
but we have to actually get involved in our local legislation. We have to get involved in the legislative branch of government and the judicial branches of government that we really absolutely know nothing about. We all know about the executive branch. We know about the the presidential election, but we miss the two-year elections for local politicians, for uh, Senate seats and for Congress seats, for uh, your people that sit on your local committees in your city and your uh, county, which is very, very important when it comes to your state legislature, you see what I'm saying, and having your voices and concerns heard in your state legislature, which then echoes into the federal uh, uh, chamber. So we have to learn about these these aspects of politics and get very, very much involved in them. And we also have to raise our own and be, uh, hold the seat. And we have to do away with public service for profit. It should not be public service for profit. And if we pay these people, it should be enough to do their job. And that's it. But Mikael. Yeah. Now, interject just right in there on behind that. Um, I just want to speak to the particular question that the brother asked, and then I know Connecticut, he probably want to follow up too. Like, you had asked the question, and so what I wanted to say was it's not that I disagree with everything the brother just said, and it's not that I agree with everything that the brother said, but what I'm saying is that we all kind of like have different perspectives on it, on what should be done and what shouldn't be done. And so I don't think there's any one size that fits all for everybody. But, like, you know, some of the things that, that, that some people want to do as far as engaging with the political system, it's different from others. So I think everyone, you know, has different, like, perspectives on how that, how that process should work, what it should look like, and, and what we should be doing. I'll turn it back over to Connect. Well, in, in, in the vein of that conversation, you know, I look at, at both of them being, you know, two sides of the same coin and how people uh, deal with it. I, I guess as Benu said, uh, it really, you know, it varies from different people. Um, but right. whatever you decide to do, don't procrastinate. Don't wait around. Whatever you choose to do may not be what I choose or what the next person chooses, but whatever it is you choose to be the, the appropriate direction and appropriate response, just do it. And when the spirits say move, move. Um, right. With that, I know we we're, we're running out of out of time, and we're rounding up uh, the conclusion of another show alive from the plantation. Um, first, I'd ask Max, uh, you have any announcements or uh, any shout outs you want to uh, uh, give out, Max, uh, before we close out? Um, yes, but there's kind of some details, and I don't know if I have the time to get into it. I know that New Jersey needs help right now with their uh, movement. Okay. To- anti-slavery language into their state constitution. They're looking for people to call in to the city council for Morris County and talk to the city council on behalf of what they're trying to achieve. If you want to know about that, All right. you go to our page at Abolition Today on Facebook and Brother Dennis Ebo breaks it down for you in a video. They need help by tomorrow at 3 p.m. So go and check that out on Facebook. Abolition today and look for the video with Dennis people. Okay. Okay. Where can we find where can we find uh, uh, um, people want to see a bill or something to draft for presentation in Alabama? Is there an example, a model or something out there somewhere? 
where people can go to and get that, or is that something that we can work toward creating and give the people something to look forward to? How, what, where are we at on that right there? That's the only question I had. We have examples of uh, the bills that insert anti-slavery language and those that remove the uh, They will also I'll make those available again on Abolition Today as we get off the air so people can see examples of those, or you can just Google um, uh, Colorado's uh, exception removed or New Jersey ending slavery, and you'll find it. I believe it's AR. 96 or CR 96 But I'll put the links up on our page So people can find them easily Okay Benu uh, While we're at it uh, You can close us out with an update on uh, Free the 13th uh, virtual conference An update on how that's progressing And and how that's going to look Bro Benu Okay I guess we I guess we lost uh, Uh, Max, you have an update for the uh, Free the 13th rally? Yes, uh, it's a a virtual rally as well as supported by real-life rallies uh, from the 26th of October through the 29th. Each day we're going to have speakers from behind enemy lines inside prisons as well as outside who are experts on the topic. We're going to cover slavery, past, present, and future. And we're also going to have special guest speakers who are actively involved in either removing or inserting anti- or pro-slavery language into their state constitution so they can explain exactly what they're doing and what kind of help that they need. We are literally making groundbreaking history with this. So uh, free the 13th, check out the hashtag, hashtag free the 13th to find all of that information. Okay, thank you. Thank you for that update, uh, Max. Uh, with that being said, in closing, um, I want to thank all listeners for uh, calling in and being a part of supporting uh, what the brothers on the inside are striving to do. Uh, we thank you uh, for supporting us in every aspect of what we do. And we come, we take risks uh, to come to you and to share our experiences and our insight uh, directly from the belly of the beast. And we appreciate the support. Uh, with that being said, uh, me being Brother Kinetic Justice Amon, uh, Brother Benu, Hannibal Rossan, and Brother Mikael from the Free Alabama Movement, as well as Brother uh, the God, Brother Wise, uh, Brother OB, and Brother Rock, and all of the brothers throughout the Alabama prison system. Uh, we say hotel and peace. And in the words of Abdullah El Amin, freedom or death. Freedom of death. Freedom of death. Ain't nothing left. Thirteen Amendment, free the Thirteen Amendment, free the slaves and made more. They chained us down a lot to suffer and then they made more. Yeah. Uh I done took too many L's like a debut on Mari. You don't stand for nothing. They on kids, starts the incarceration of bus. Till we dearly departed. Had to weigh my intentions. Double back for my hips. Yeah.
control my stereo. Roaches in my cereal. We ain't had no bank account. Disconnect my sprint phone. Friends be looking pitiful. Hard as that scenario. Stressing that day, every day I got a wet. Don't I? You ain't got no money. Sleep on the floor. Sleep on the street. If you ain't got no job, ain't got no job, no food to eat. Everybody depend on you. And damn it, who you ask for help? Everybody down bad and going through the same head. You, you wanna gonna do what you gonna do? They call it. Vibe. They hit listing servers and they selling dope survivors. And that day you gotta hustle just to stay afloat. You look around and all your brothers in the same boat. Your skin proud, black, they put us in section, they got us bit. I'm a police spitting fat, take your conceit, that's straight to pit. And the youngest ain't just, you lacking on spitting facts. In the bottom of the bank, lose the trial, ain't coming back, yeah. Ooh, free my niggas like the trap, huh? You don't stand for nothing. They don't kill you. It starts the incarceration of us. Till we delete the party. Had to wear my teeth. Double back for my hands. Yeah. God be our strength when we broke as hell. When we going through hell, living in hell, living in cells. All this oppression, no, you see us in it. All this depression, no, you see us in it. Lord, it's my best, will pass on all my sin. No, you will beat us. I know your mercy is still. Mercy to the slums. Mercy for us all to repent. Free us for myself. Change our highlight. We was lost, but you ain't forsaken. You took the cross just to save us, hey. Prima, side the trap, huh? Prima, this out the trap, nah, yeah. They tryna lock us up in prison. We the slaves, we the slaves. 13 of me, man, yeah. Out the trap, huh? Prima, this out the trap, nah, yeah. They wanna lock us up in prison. We the slaves, we the slaves. 13 of me, man, yeah. We the slaves, we the slaves, 13 of men, man.